0: Welcome to the Grace Point Church podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. So for those of you that don't know that today is a very important day Today is defrost your turkey day. It is. Listen, this is a serious problem. If you've got a 20-pound turkey or more that you have and it's frozen and it's in your freezer, if you want to have it ready in time and defrosted properly, you've got to take that thing out of your freezer tonight and put it in your fridge so that it will be defrosted and ready to go by Thanksgiving. And the reason that I know this is because I am the turkey guy. I have made the Thanksgiving turkey for as long as I can remember. It's one of the things that I love doing uh, because there is nothing quite as, uh, as fun and enjoyable to me than to squirt boiling hot liquid butter into the body cavity of a dead bird. I love that so much. And, uh, and so, you know, for those of you who are going to be at my place... Um, this uh, Thanksgiving, which is not too many of you, um, but it, we're going to have some great turkey because I'm the turkey guy. I, I, am, I have dubbed myself as the best cook in my family. Uh, and it's true. I, and I tell myself this all the time. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> see, some of you caught that. I tell myself this all the time. Uh, And and normally people look at at my wife and they would say that she's the the better cook among us. Uh, But she will tell you, uh, after years of prodding and coaching, uh, she will tell you no, that it is me. Uh, But it's tough sometimes because I, I remember this one time we were... I was cooking something, and I can't remember anymore uh, what I was cooking or what event I was cooking it for. I think that my mind has, has blocked it out to preserve uh, my own mental health. So I don't remember anymore what I was cooking, but I was cooking something. And as I was cooking it, uh, Terry was looking at me, and she was telling me that I, she said like she doesn't think that that's the way I'm supposed to do it. But of course, when I hear that, I just immediately had to let her know and remind her who was the best cook in the house and, and tell her that regardless of what she may think is the best way to do it, I am the person who knows the best way to cook this particular dish. And once again, I don't remember what it was. I have blocked it from my memory. And so I'm cooking it through, I'm cooking it through, I get to the very end, and and the the kitchen smells, and I go to taste it, and it is way too salty. I mean, it was just horribly bad. And I didn't know what to do, and I started to panic, mostly because my reputation was at stake here, and it was too late to cook anything else. And so I did what any self-respecting man would do, I went to my wife for help, and I said to her, I don't think that this is turning out right. Can you taste it and see? And so she did. She went in, and she tasted it, and because my wife is full of mercy and grace and forgiveness, she tasted it, and she looked at me, and she said, it's too salty. And it was. It was the most horrible thing. But fortunately, because of her mercy and grace and forgiveness, she came and she helped me out. And we were able to salvage it. And it came out all right. And I'll tell you that um, I am so grateful for that. But in that moment, when I recognized that uh, I was a little too big for my britches, that I I had believed my own press too much, that moment of, of, of pride... I recognize how dangerous that that could be. And so in our series that we're wrapping up today, we've been talking about uh, things that that we think Jesus would undo. We talked about the fact that years ago there was this movement, and it actually started about a hundred years ago, that that, uh, someone first wrote and asked the question, what would Jesus do? And then there was this craze where people were wearing bracelets and shirts and mugs and and, and, and had those four letters, WWJD, and, and asked themselves, what would Jesus do? And, and then so we started this series talking about this question that I think comes naturally out of it. That if Jesus would to look at how this movement that he started has evolved into and what it is today, what would Jesus look at and say, this is something that I need to undo? What would Jesus undo if he was here today? And I think one of the things that he would undo is this sense of spiritual pride that many of us can easily fall into. And maybe you're here today, and, and, or you're watching us online, and, and if, you're, if you're here or watching us and you're not a Christian, uh, what we're going to talk about today is going to be that thing that you're going to go, Aha! That's exactly it! That's exactly why I don't trust any of you. It's because of this right here. What would Jesus do? Undo. Spiritual pride. There's a, a text in Scripture that says that pride comes before a fall. And, and the reason that Jesus wants us to get rid of this pride that is in us is because He doesn't want us to fall. He doesn't want us to experience that fall that comes with pride, that fall that comes when we have a, a misplaced sense of our worth or our, or our value. And so as we going, as we start going through this and start looking at at the the, the verses in Scripture that we're going to look at today, the, the one thing that I, I want us to kind of keep in mind is this, is that you know, there's, this, there's a, a saying that says that one of the most loving things that you can do to another person is to look them in the eyes and tell them the truth. And so today my prayer for us as we, we talk through this is that God is going to look us in the eye and that today He's going to tell us a little bit of truth, even if it's going to be a little bit painful Uh, For some of us, I know that as I was uh, preparing for today that I experienced a lot of pain. I had to relive some pain and uh, and also to see just what God was doing inside me. Um, So today we're going to look at a story that Jesus told. Um, It's a story that the Apostle Luke uh, wrote down for us so that we could have that story here today. And this story is a story about two guys, two different guys, but they were going to the same place to do the same thing. And in this story, Jesus is going to show us the difference between these two guys. And maybe in this story, we might see ourselves in one of these guys. So it starts out like this. And it says, and he, and this is Jesus, and he also told this parable. And a parable is just a story that is supposed to teach a lesson. And so he says he told this parable to some people. So right away, uh, Luke is telling us that this parable, the parable that Jesus was telling wasn't for everybody who was there, but it was for some people who were there. And, they, and he describes these some people. It's, it's some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And, and that, that phrase is just a fancy way of saying that, that they trusted in who they were and what they'd done and, and what they were able to do and what they've accomplished in life. They were trusting in who they were according to them and believing that because of their own actions that they were righteous. And then he says this. He says that there was an impact in that. He says that there was a result of that. That because these people trusted in themselves that they were righteous, they viewed others with contempt. They viewed others with contempt. And the thing that we want to take away from this is that when we are talking about our experience with God, that the vertical is always connected to the horizontal. That the way that our relationship is with God is always going to be connected with how our relationship is with other people. The vertical is always connected to the horizontal. And so he is addressing these this, these people in the crowd, and he's specifically addressing the people who have bought into this idea that we can have confidence, we can have faith, and we can have trust in ourselves. And what Jesus is going to tell us and what he's saying right here and what he's going to show us in this is that when we have faith and confidence in ourselves, that when who we are is based on what we've done, that that that... that ends up growing pride in us. And pride always causes us to look down at other people. The pride always causes us to take a lesser view of the people that are around us, partly because that's the way that we stay lifted up. And so here's Jesus, and he's talking to this small group of people, and he's he's trying to get them to see that the vertical affects the horizontal, that our relationship with God is affected by how we view other people. And so he tells the story, and this is how the story goes. He says, two men went, two men. So he's talking about two different people. Two men went to the temple to pray. They were two men, and they were going to the same place to do the same thing. And everybody who was listening, they understood this. Okay, there's two men. And then Jesus says, one, a Pharisee. Now, over the years, and if you grew up in church, if you grew up uh, reading the Bible, and, and in fact, if you've, ever, uh, if you've been here at Grace Point for a while, you know that we always look at the Pharisee as the bad guy, right? He's the guy that when he shows up on the screen, everybody goes, boo. He's the bad guy. But in this particular time, when Jesus is telling this story to the audience who's listening to it, when they hear that one was a Pharisee, they didn't think, boo. They saw the Pharisee as the hero of the story. When they heard that there were two men and one of them was a Pharisee, they knew immediately who the good guy was in this story. It was going to be that guy. And then when he goes on and tells us about the other person, and he says, and the other, a tax collector, it's solidified in their mind who the good guy was and who the bad guy was in this story. You see, here's two men and they're going to the temple and the temple was the place that represented God's presence. It was the place where in that time that they went to get into the presence of God, the visible presence of God. And here you have one guy who was a Pharisee. He is a religious leader. He, today he would be someone like a, a pastor or, or, or a church leader. He is a person who, who knew the Ten Commandments. He knew the 613 other commandments that were put into place to keep us from breaking the Ten Commandments. He knew all of those things. He was an upstanding citizen. And then he contrasts it with a tax collector. Now, now today, for some of us, we hear tax collector and we think of the guy at the IRS. Well, listen, it has nothing to do with that. It was not at all anything like, like the, the tax collectors that we think of today. In this time period, the tax collectors were collecting taxes, not for the government of Jerusalem, not for the, the Israeli government. They were Jews collecting taxes for Rome. And how they made their money was that they would collect tax and they would collect a tax on top of the tax. And whatever was due to Rome, they would give to Rome and anything else that they collected, they kept for themselves. And in many translations of this, where it talks about the tax collector, it actually says in the other, a despised tax collector. Because in this culture, the tax collector was the worst of the worst. It was like a a mafia leader. It would be the equivalent today of a drug dealer who was selling drugs in the community that he lives in, taking advantage of the people who was around him, the people who were his family and friends in order to make money at their expense. This is who this guy was. And so when we look at this contrast, when the people who were listening to him, they look at this contrast, they immediately knew which one was the good guy and which was the bad guy. They knew which was Luke Skywalker and which guy was Darth Vader. They knew which guy was Jim and which guy was Dwight. No office fans? Come on. Jim and Dwight? They knew which guy was the Raider fan and which guy was the... Niner fan. I was going to say Patriots, but... We got too many Patriots fans in here. And I want to escape alive. He drew a picture that everybody in the audience immediately understood. I'm telling you a story, and there's a hero, and there's a villain in the story. And listen, the Pharisee had a good reason to think... That he was the hero. The people had a good reason to think that the Pharisee was a hero in this story. Because this Pharisee was not a bad guy just because he was a Pharisee. See, this Pharisee would have memorized the first five books of the Bible by the time he was 12. And I'm not talking about memorizing the names. I'm talking he memorized everything from the first word to the last word of those first five books. By the time he was 12 years old, he could recite it all the way through. That he spent his time studying the scriptures. He spent his time making sure that as he walked around, that he did not violate any of the Ten Commandments and he did not violate any of the 613 other commandments. This guy was a person who, in our community, that we would look up to, who had every right of thinking that he was better than everyone else. And the problem was, was that in all of that that he was doing, in all of who he had become, he forgot that all that he was, was a gift from God. And he started to think that all of he, that who he was, was his gift to God. And we do the same thing. We do the same thing that he does. We get into this place where we're thinking, man, if I come to church every week, this is a gift to you, God. Uh, You should be thankful, God, because I am here. If you are dragging your family to church every week and they don't want to come and you're able to get them in the door and into a seat, you're thinking to yourself, God, I got you. I'm here for you. I did my job. I got everybody here. I know you are grateful to me. We do the same thing. And when we do that, that's spiritual pride. That's what gets us into trouble. And there are three false promises that come from spiritual pride. The first promise is the promise of self-sufficiency. That we say to ourselves, I've got this. I don't need anybody. I can do it all on my own. The second promise is the the promise of of self-importance. That you people don't understand how important I am. You don't know that I am the glue that holds everything together at my job. You don't know that if I wasn't there, everything would fall apart. You don't know that if if I was not around, my family would have just disappeared. It's all because of me. Self-importance. And the third false promise is the promise of self-exaltation. That we walk around thinking, man, I am better than anybody else that's around me. And we want people to look at us and to, to tell us how great we are. And this is the problem that Jesus was dealing with, with this, with the people who were listening to him. And this was the object of the story he was telling. We go to the next verse in verse 11 and, and, and we have the Pharisee and the tax collector. And Jesus goes on with the story and he says this. He says, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. Now he's in the temple and in the temple, it's an open courtyard, but there are places to sit. And there were places to stand. And the Pharisee, when he was praying to himself and when he stood, he would have been standing in a very prominent place where everybody could see him. And it says, and Jesus was telling us that when he prayed, he prayed to himself, prayed to himself, but very loudly so that everyone there could hear. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like these other people. I am so grateful, God, For all that I am, and I'm so thankful that I am not like any of these guys who were here. That's what he was praying. And listen, in this time, if we were sitting down listening to a Pharisee pray this prayer, most of us would be nodding our heads. Yes, we are not worthy. That's what we would be doing. And it wasn't enough for him to say that I'm not like the other people. He goes down and tells us what kind of people they are. He says they're swindlers. They are unjust. They are adulterers. Or. And I think at this point that he would have paused and he would have looked over at the man who walked in with him. And he would have said, or even like this, this, Tax collector. This tax collector. Let me tell you why I'm so much better than this tax collector. And he goes on to say, I fast twice a week. And I'm not talking about the intermittent fast where in a few hours I'm going to get my chance to eat again. I'm talking about days. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes. On all that I get. He's saying, listen, I am the ultimate rule keeper. I obey all the rules. I do everything right. I am so good. I'm better than everyone else. And listen, the the, the Pharisee knew that he didn't keep every single one of of the laws. He knew that there were things that he didn't do right. But he looked out at the people there and he said, comparatively, compared to you, 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 I am so much better than all of you. That's what he was standing up there saying. And while he was praying it to himself, he was praying it loud enough so that everybody could hear. And remember, the audience who was listening to this, they're still thinking, Yeah, that's right. He's the hero of the story. But we get into these issues of spiritual pride and we fall into the trap of thinking that our value is based on our accomplishments, that our value is based on our gifts, that our value is based on the things that we have done, and the problem with that is that inward-directed emotion leads to outward-directed action. The feelings that we get about ourselves that's directed inside us always lead to an action that comes out of us. When I was in Florida, uh, we moved. when we first moved out there, um, my daughter was three, four years old, and, and we were about to have a, a, a son. And uh, so we decided that you know we needed to get a minivan and so we got a minivan i'll never forget it it was silver it was a uh, dodge grand caravan four captains chairs back seat i mean it was at that time it was the state of the art and i thought i was cool cuz i was driving this minivan so one day I read this article in, the news, in, a, in a magazine, and it, and it had different rules for men. And rule number 351 was that a man who drives a minivan is exactly one half of a man. <laughs> and so I'm driving my minivan, and I'm thinking, I am exactly one half of a man? And suddenly it hit me. I was no longer cool. And so I didn't want people to see me in my minivan. Because it was not cool. You know how you're, you you roll up to the stop sign, to, to the stoplight, and you look over, and there's there's some people in the car, and you kind of go, how you doing? You cannot do that in a minivan. And so there was just, I, 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 I needed it. I, I drove it around. You know, it, it took the family places. It was really cool. But whenever I was by myself, I always slid that, 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 Chair a little bit back farther so that bar there would keep cover me up so people couldn't see me driving a minivan. Well, finally, the kids grew up and I was able to get rid of the minivan and I got myself a nice Acura 3.2 TL sedan. Oh man, this thing was great leather interior and, and uh, the engine was just amazing and, and you could go automatic or slide it over and then you could go manual transmission. And I just, I, everywhere I drove, I had, you know, I had the gangster lean out the window. I had the, the sound turned up. People knew I was coming before I got there. <laughs> you see, it was all about the inward directed emotion forcing the outward directed action. How we believe about ourselves determines how we act and how we act towards other people. And so we can look at this story of the Pharisee and we can say to ourselves, well, yeah, you know, sitting here today, we we listen to this and we think, yeah, he's got to be the bad guy. But for many of us, we do the exact same thing. I know that I have done the exact same thing many, many times. You know who's the worst at this? The worst at this is parents. And I know because I'm a parent. And you know what parents do? Parents, they, 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 they look at, at other people's kids and they just thank God that my kids aren't like them. <laughs> Did you see their kids? I mean, I know we're not perfect parents, but man, those kids are going to be in jail one day. And so we talk bad about other people's kids, not overtly, but, you know, slyly. We talk bad about them. And, and, and I think part of the reason is, is because it makes us feel better? That we're not doing so well with our own kids? Or we start walking around thinking that we don't need God? I don't need to pray. I don't need to read my Bible. Especially when I look around at all the other people at church. And I think to myself, I'm doing way better than them. So, they're the ones that need to pray. They're the ones that need to read. Not me, I'm doing all right. We easily fall into this trap. We easily fall into this trap of thinking that that, you know, it's OK for us to look around and have other people look at us and think to ourselves, man. I've got it better than everyone else has got it, so I'm doing fine. I, um, I, I I've been doing this now for 14 years. I've been a pastor for 14 years. And uh, I, I know, I, I, I am very clear that I don't know everything. I, I probably know very, very little. I'm one of those guys who, who doesn't know all of the things that he doesn't know. So, uh, but I get that. and I, I understand that. And th- there have been moments, especially uh, moments here in the history of our church, where I have just questioned everything. I, I've asked God, like, you know, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Or is this really making a difference? And I remember one day I was listening to another pastor preach a sermon. And have you ever, have you ever watched a movie or, or listened to somebody talk or tell a story? And like as, as they're going, you're going, yeah, 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 exactly. Well, this pastor was telling his story. And I could, I could connect with it so much because, because so many elements of his story were the same as mine. And he was talking about how when he started out, you know, he was only 23 and I was not 23, but you know, um, so that part wasn't similar. But he was telling the story of how when he started, you know, people were telling him what a great communicator he was and, and, and how he needed to go out and start a church or, or get connected in and start working in a church. And, and that you know, one day he was going to be talking to, to, to hundreds and thousands of people. And, and I had the exact same thing. I had people telling me that. To this day, there are people who walk up to me and, and remind me that one day I'm going to be speaking in big, huge auditoriums. And that's really great to hear if you don't believe your own press. And so I'm hearing this pastor, and he's telling me about how all these things that people are saying to him. And I go, yeah, I, I can understand that. And then one day he said, he, so he was telling the story, and he said this. He said he was talking to God, and he was asking God, you know, God, I'm here. I'm doing exactly what you're saying, but I don't feel like anything is happening in my church. I don't feel like anybody is, is it, 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 their lives are changed. I don't feel like we're not growing. Nothing is happening here. And he said, he heard God ask him. He said, What what is it that you want? And he said, I want to make a difference. And he said, Okay, would you be okay if a thousand people's lives were changed because of you? And he was like, Yes, absolutely. If if a thousand people's lives changed, then I would know that I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. And then he said, And then God said to him, Well, what if it was a hundred people? What if a hundred people's lives were changed because of what you're doing? And he said, yes, God, yes, absolutely, 100 people. And I'm listening to him, and I'm just nodding my head, absolutely. And he says, God, and he says that God said to him, well, what if it was just 10 people? And the man said, yes, if it was just 10 people, if I just knew I was making a difference in the lives of 10 people, that would be worth it all. And then he said, God said, what if it was just one person? And the man said, absolutely, if it was just one person then I would know that I was making a difference somewhere. And then he said, God told him, what if that one person was you? What if it was you? What if you were the one who I'm supposed to be doing something in their life? And, then, and that completely broke him down and completely changed how he looked at, at, at everything that he was doing. And I remember listening to this guy and I was thinking the same thing that he was thinking. And I've put myself in the same place. And I said, you know, I have no idea what God has in store for us. I have no idea what he has in store for me. I have no idea what he has in store for his church. But for me to think that the reason that anything is going to happen was because of me was my pride coming out. That I was trying to think that something had to happen. And if it didn't, it was because of me. And we do this. It's like reverse spiritual pride. You see, for some people, we think of spiritual pride and we think that it's because we think that we're better than everyone else. But there is this reverse spiritual pride aspect that sometimes we don't think about. That we can't take a compliment. So when somebody says something nice to us, compliments us on something, we defer it you know, with a, with a little sarcastic remark. Because we don't want to take that compliment. So someone will say a, a something about an accomplishment and we'll say, well, I just got lucky. And we'll just push it aside. Or, or maybe we sit in church and we think to ourselves, I could never, I could never lift my hands. I, I could never sing out. I could never just let myself go and, and really praise God. I could never really give my heart to God because of all of the things that I'm doing or all the things that I've done. I, I just can't do that. Or, or we think, man, if I was just a better person in this area or that area, then I think I could allow myself to get closer to God. And what we don't recognize is, is that that attitude is the exact same attitude. That we are valuing ourselves based on what we do and who we are instead of who God says that we are. That the value is still based on me. And so what would, what would Jesus undo? Jesus would undo spiritual pride because here is the problem. When we are full of ourselves, positive or negative, when we are full of ourselves, there's no room for God. When we decide that our value is based on who we are, what we do, how much money we have, uh, 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 what our title is, who we're related to, when that is our value, there's no room For God. There's no room for God. But in this story, Jesus is going to show us a different way. We heard from the Pharisee, and then he switches the story up. And now all the people are waiting to hear about the evil tax collector. So Jesus says, but the tax collector who was standing some distance away. Because you see, this is the presence of God. And this tax collector recognized that he, more than any of the people that were there, he was not a person who should be worthy of being in the presence of God. And so instead of standing in the middle of the room or standing at a place that was up above where everybody could see him, he stands some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes up to heaven. It says, but instead... He was beating his breast. Say, God, be merciful to me. Be merciful to me, the sinner. Because you see, this person went to the temple believing that there was no way he could get close to God. This person went to the temple believing that there was no way he could earn his way to God. You see, because this person, this tax collector, for him to follow the law, to follow the rule, to be the person who who obeyed what needed to be done in order to make himself good with God, according to the people, to obey that rule, what he had to do is he had to pay back everything that he had ever taken from anybody, plus 20% on top of it. And there was no way he could do that. There was no possible way that he could follow the rules to earn his way back to God. And he knew that. And so he went there. He went there knowing that he could never measure up. And he was beating his chest. God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And everybody there who was listening to this story would have thought, yeah, that's right. Be merciful to him because he's just a sinner. And this is when Jesus does what Jesus always does. This is when Jesus takes this story that everybody thinks they know exactly how it's going to end, and he flips it upside down. He says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, this man, who in no possible way could he ever obey the rules to get himself back in good with God, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. And this story to that group was scandalous. Hold on, wait a second. The tax collector? That was the man who went back to his house justified? Not the Pharisee? Not the guy who obeys all the rules. Not the guy who could recite to you Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy from the beginning to the end, every single word, every comma, every period. Not that guy. The guy who pays his tithes, the guy who comes into the temple and prays every day. Not that guy. It's this guy. And then Jesus explains why. He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. And the tax collector went home, and he was the one who was justified. And it was not the Pharisee. He completely flipped it upside down. And in flipping it upside down, he let them see, he let them recognize the truth in something that they saw every day, but couldn't understand it that they saw the truth in it that, yes, hold on, wait a second, you're right. It was the person who exalted himself who needed to be humbled, but it was the person who came humble and repentant and recognizing that he was a sinner, recognizing that he could never live up to it. He was the one who deserved to be justified. See, the great thing about God is that when we put ourselves in a place, when, when we empty us, when we empty all of these ideas we have about who we are, we put ourselves in the perfect position to be filled by God's grace. That we put ourselves in a position for Him to say all of those things that don't measure up, that He can cover that with His grace. But... When we empty ourselves, it also puts us in the perfect position to be used by God. For him to use us. And I don't know where that is for you. Because for some of you, you're thinking to yourself, I don't know where God's going to use me. I, I, I have a job, I go to it every day, but I don't know how God can use me there. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm a stay-at-home dad. I I, I take the kids to school. I, 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 I don't know how God can use me there. But wherever we go, in whatever circle that we run in, when we empty us of us, we put ourselves in a position for God to be able to use us. You see, pride is about my glory. But humility is about God's glory. Pride is about how can I be the one to measure up or how am I going to measure myself because of what I've done or where I've fallen short. But humility is about how I can put God in that place instead of me. We all get to a place where our value is about us. And the one thing that can set us free from falling into the trap of spiritual pride, from falling into this place where when we're doing good, we think we're better than other people or when we're doing bad, we think we're worthless to other people is when we allow ourselves to to just be valued by who God is and the value that God gives to us. Pride is about my glory. But when we are humble, when we recognize that it's not us, it brings glory to God. So the question we have to ask ourselves, and as we close out this series, the question that we need to ask in everything that we do, in every decision that we make, in every place that we go, in everything that we do, the question we ask ourselves is this, is as I look across the the, the scenery of my life, as I look at the different decisions that I make or, or what I'm about to do or where I'm about to go, we just ask this simple question. Is this about my glory or is this about God's glory? Because here's the great thing. When it's about my glory, the most I'm going to ever be able to do is what I can do. That's it. What my energy can do, what my time can do, what my money can do, what my education can do. It will always be limited to what I can do. But when it's about God's glory, it can only be limited by what God can do. And it's in those times, it's in those moments that we're able to see how much God loves us and see what God can do if we allow him to work through us. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.